Grania. And I'm Avi. And this is Against, Against the, the law. law. We're a podcast about law, the legal system, and how power works in our society. Today we have a few topics. We have a few things in the news to start out. And then Grania is going to break down how RICO works, yes. which, which is a very scary federal law. Yeah, I mean, I'm sort of going to break it down because as you'll see, it's really hard to break down. But it could break you down, and that's the It'll point. It'll break us all down <laughs> at some point. <laughs> <laughs> so welcome to episode two. Yes, thank you for coming back. <laughs> so did you get any feedback this week on, on last week's episode? That's what I was going to say. <laughs> no, I haven't gotten any feedback from people I know, you mean, or I don't know. I, I on the you, internet. Have, have you followed any of the, of the stories or, or the developments? Well, I've been getting a lot in the mail from the Vote No campaign. I've been getting a few emails, but not much. It, it seems it seems like pretty, the whole thing seems minor. <laughs> no, I mean, I uh, what I've been getting, the mailers I've been getting have been crazy, and we'll put pictures of them up on our website. Um, but they're basically uh, Halloween, and they're like, the scariest thing that's happening this November is not Halloween, which A, like Halloween's in October, but... Um, and then it's like like gravestones and stuff, R.I.P. And the, it's about voting no on the Congo. And what, what is it saying? Just nothing, really. Okay. Just vote no or you'll die. Yeah, I had, a, I had an interesting conversation with someone who said that they did an absentee ballot and missed it. And I, I wonder if that'll happen a lot because it's on the back of the ballot. And I actually did an absentee ballot also. And Why did you have to do an absentee ballot? Because I'm, I'm leaving the country. So Where are you going? Going to South Africa for what? a week. Oh, yeah. What are you going there for? Uh, it's a, progr- uh, a progressive like organizing type conference. Oh my gosh, that's amazing! Should be fun. Hopefully, I'll get some interviews from folks there. We'll see. Ooh, cool. Um, yeah, but I think that apparently on the ballot, which you filled out and I have not, it's it just says, "Do you want to change the constitution?" and it doesn't say the New York State Constitution. Yeah, and <laughs> it, it, yeah, it's 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 it, it's also. F- Considering a lot of the no campaign, this is one thing that I, w- I was thinking about. Considering a lot of the no campaign is about pensions, there is a provision on the ballot to take away pensions f- using the Constitution, an amendment to the, con- the New York Constitution to take away pensions from people who have been convicted of felonies, which seems like a terrible idea. But if you were voting no because of pensions and you saw that, I think that might be confusing. Um, so... Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think we just have to wait and see what happens. It seems like everyone we know is uh, solidly voting no. So, some stuff happened this week. Not that uh, not that things have necessarily gotten better this week. No, not better. Not better at all. In fact, I think they've gotten worse as they keep getting worse. Yeah, so a big, a big thing that I see, that I saw this week is Gothamist and DNA Info got shut down. Yes, their billionaire owner closed Gothamist and DNA Info. He, the New York City office of Gothamist and DNA Info had voted to unionize. Um, they put in cards about six months ago, and the NLRB certified their election just last week. And, um, but the other cities didn't vote to unionize. So uh, Joe Ricketts, hoping to skirt the labor law, um, the owner? Yeah, Joe Ricketts is the owner. He's a billionaire. He's worth over $2 billion. He owns the Cubs, so, you know, don't go there. And he, um, so he closed down all of DNA Info and Gothamist in order to protect himself because 
as you probably know, you can't just close the one plant that's unionizing. You have to close the whole company down. Um, Fun. Do you know this from your life as a organizer-ish? I'll stipulate that I know <laughs> it. <laughs> okay, you're stipulated. Well, so the interesting thing is that that's not his whole company. And um, Gothamist and DNA Info's HR, their management was all run out of this other company that Joe Ricketts owns. So they were kind of a, just a subsidiary of his whole enterprise. So I think that if I was the lawyers for the Writers Guild, that's what I would be looking at because I don't, I don't think it's over at this point. I think it would be political suicide for the Writers Guild to just like be like, oh, sorry. And I think that they're not going to. And I think that there's like a, there's a lot of wedge room with that. With the fact that he still owns like this meatpacking plant or, I don't know, a ranch or something. I don't know what billionaires do. But he has a bunch of stuff run out of this company in Colorado. And I think he's kind of vulnerable to charges that, A, obviously he closed it down because of union activity. I mean, I think his spokesperson said as much. He said as much himself on the blog. He bought Gothamist because it was profitable. DNA Info has never been profitable. And the reason for that is because he didn't care whether it was profitable. So basically... Millionaires sold to billionaires, and then they shut it down because of a whim? Yeah, it was basically a whim. It's kind of like if you were a kid and your parents brought you, like, Lincoln Logs to play with, and you were a rich kid, so you had lots of toys, so you just, like, got bored of the Lincoln Logs and threw them away. It's, like, really, really crazy to do that with, like, two media and It, it makes one wonder <laughs> whether having billionaires run critical parts of our society <laughs> is a good plan or not. Yeah, it's it's probably not a good plan, I want to say. You know, I mean, I know that like now we're planning to make billionaires be trillionaires or something with our new tax code, but it seems like a really bad thing. Anyway, yes, billionaires should not control the infrastructure. But I think that I don't think it's over. I mean, I th I really don't. I think that they're going to have to litigate it. I think the Writers Guild can't just say like, oh, this company unionized and then they were shut down and now they're all laid off. And um, so that's like what we do for our union members. You know, I just don't think that they could do that. So I well, think I think they'll be fighting it, and I think that it'll be interesting to see what how they do it. And I think that he's vulnerable. I really do. I mean, I know that their whole HR was run out of Colorado, and I know that their management structure, like people who were full-time in that New York office and definitely people in the Chicago office, are not being laid off because they worked ostensibly for this other parent company. So I think, you know, you heard it here first. Not the end of Gothamist. Anyway... Anything else happen exciting in the news? So I don't know if you saw the story. Uh, um, it was a pretty big article in ProPublica Pro about fact-checking the Supreme Court. Oh, you know what? I, I saw that there was an article that was that, but I did not read it. So what happened in this exciting article? Basically, the lack of fact-checking. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, because they don't really use social science or science science in order to come to conclusions. Well, they or they rarely do. Yeah, and 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 importantly, they don't have they don't have any kind of they have their clerks, right? Like they don't have any kind of institutional service for fact checking. And so, as basically as as the amicus industry has exploded through all these various kind of narrowly focused organizations, they get all these amicus briefs, and it kind of gives them this huge buffet of quote unquote facts to put into their decisions and so they did this thing where they just they took I think they said they took 84 decisions from the last five years and did 
and, and looked at facts that were brought in by the court, right? Mm-hmm. Not facts that were established at lower courts or kind of facts of the case, but but these kind of social science, statistics, analysis. I'm sure economics. Yeah, e- quote, <laughs> yeah, economics, <laughs> our favorite topic. Um, but uh, yeah, exactly. And, and, and looked and actually just fact checked those things. And there's some, there's some pretty... Tell me. Some Tell pretty me. horrible stuff. So, give me one. One of the good ones in a in a um, in a Kennedy opinion, he said that untreated sex offenders commit new sex crimes at a startling rate, estimated to be as high as eighty percent. And there's no source for that statistic, so right. they dig into it, and they find out it's basically just some. Someone guessed, like, and wrote an article about it. Like, it, it, there's no, there's no source. There's no, there's no s- study. It's nothing. It's just someone wrote an article about it. Someone put that article in an amicus, and then it becomes part of a Supreme Court decision. Another, another one of the interesting ones uh-huh. was there was this NASA case where I guess a bunch of uh, employees didn't want to be drug tested, uh-huh. and so uh, this is an Alito opinion. Alito. Cites, cites this statistic that says 88% of U.S. companies perform back che- uh, background checks on their employees, right? That sounds and, high. Yeah, doesn't that? It sounds really high. It sounds insane, like right? Like 88% of companies, like the coffee shop down the street, like I feel like they're not doing a background check. Well, that's the thing, right? So so the ProPublica Pro digs into it. Uh-huh. And Good job, ProPublica. Yeah, and, and they see that it's from this human resources management. It's like from a human. It's a human resources, like, uh, industry organization that gave them this statistic, mm-hmm. and then they call them up, I guess, and, and and find out that that it was from it was from an unpublished preliminary survey, right? <laughs> and then when they the actual published survey said that only seventy four percent. Uh, do criminal background checks, but <laughs> that mm-hmm. survey only represents companies of a hundred or more workers, which is less than two percent of U.S. companies. So it's just total nonsense. nonsense. Huh. The fact of the matter is, as I'm sure fact you know, a lot of a, a lot of these people don't know the fundamental basics of how statistics work or any of any kind of right. scientific method right. they're like english lit major you know what i mean like yeah. i, I yeah. took a class in law school on statistics and the law and it was one of the things that horrified me the most because it it just exposes the use of statistics and these things that have a veneer of science but are just nonsense yeah I mean, the court, the, the system of fact-finding by a jury or a judge is kind of more of a religion in this country than it is a science. I mean, it's more, it's more going through the process, you know, the rituals, than it is getting at the truth in a lot of ways. Yeah, and so here's another one from that okay. article. Okay, okay, back to the article. No, 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 no. Here's another one from that article that goes to your point. Yeah. Um, from a Kagan, uh, a Kagan decision allowing this dog sniff Ugh. evidence... Do not right? even with the dog sniff evidence. Yeah, it's 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 absurd. So Kagan says a dog's reliability should be assessed based on the results of certification and proficiency assessments. Great. But from the article, 
the nation's largest police dog certification organizations do not measure the risk of false positives in their tests. So, right. you know, I, and this is and this is something obviously we should talk about this more in a future episode. The the sham that is the uh, forensic science as a general. Yeah, that makes sense as a thing to have proposition, but I mean, like. This this is just part and parcel of that. There's this entire industry of the police bringing a dog to your car and then it barks and then they're allowed to search the entire thing, which should be a violation of everything. Well, and this came out of a case <laughs> where where the where the dog did that yeah. and they found drugs in the car that yeah. the dog was not even trained to te- to find. Right, right, right. So it's like, but then they allow it anyway, right? Yeah. Because because then they found it because the search was lawful. And so then whatever they find pursuant to the search is also lawful to find. So, yeah. And, you know, it's there are all these cases where you can't hold people in order to search their car if they were arrested in a kind of very particular manner. It's Gantt, United States v. Gantt. But then what the police would do is bring dogs and have them bark, and then they could just search the whole thing. So what, whenever there's, like, a limitation on police powers, there's always a nice loophole, it seems. Yeah. Do you have more? Yeah, I got a couple more. Okay, for tell me more. Well, since we're talking about dogs. Yes, dogs. And you are a former lawyer in the fine state of Louisiana. I am. You saw this latest <laughs> thing with the Louisiana Supreme Court. Yes, yes. Right? Yes. So so Aww. here's so so there's a thing. Yes. Everyone's familiar with it from Law and Order, right? Right, Law and Order. Where? It's not really how it works. It's not really how it works, right? But if they want to do a custodial interrogation and have the fruits of that interrogation be used in court, they have to tell you that you have a right to an attorney. So they can talk to you without saying all of that. But once they want to have your responses be given to a jury, they have to say. You have a right to an attorney, yes, right? Yes. But also, if you invoke your right to an attorney, yeah, which means they cannot continue that investigation and use it in court. Right. They can't keep talking to you and be able to use your statement against you in court. They can keep talking to you, but they can't use your statement. So a gentleman in Louisiana. Yes. While being interrogated. Yes. Gave this following quote to the police. Okay. I'm ready. This is how I feel. If y'all think I did it, I know that I didn't do it. So why don't. You just give me a lawyer, dog, because this is not what's up. Yeah. And so. I mean, obviously, he was asking for a lawyer, dog. So I don't know why anyone would think that was a lawyer. A dog lawyer? Yeah, is it? yeah. yeah a lawyer, dog. So I, I, I look, I, I've never Sorry. lived in Louisiana. I've never practiced Sorry. law there. But is that a common practice in the state of Louisiana to have a, a canine <laughs> attorney? Um, but yeah, so. And a lawyer dog. I mean, what can we say? How is anyone to know that lawyer, comma, space, dog? So, but this was upheld. This conviction was upheld, right? They said yeah. that this was not. In Louisiana only. It hasn't been yeah. upheld higher than Louisiana. No, but they said that for for purposes of this case, at least, that that was enough. That was, n- that was ambiguous enough that he was not clearly asking for an attorney. The question, I mean, obviously that's ridiculous, but. I wonder what the posture of his case is, because in Louisiana, you get all automatic interlocutory appeals up to the Supreme Court. So I wonder what's going on with it. I guess we'll see whether Justices Gorsuch, Kagan, Alito, and the like know about the expression comma space dog. 
I guess maybe we'll see. Maybe we can file an amicus brief explaining how people talk. I think you would have to have the police officer, a reasonable police officer, would have had to understand that he was asking for a lawyer. Yeah, but I, I, yeah, and so I wonder, I guess, g- given you know, that... What's, lo- what's reasonable, right? Like, that's a fact that they're going to have to find, is what would a reasonable person think? And so that's the problem with that, right? Let me put it this way. Um, how often is slang used to convict someone? I'm going to say a lot. <laughs> like, how often is colloquial speak uh, clearly understood by police to mean he wanted to sell drugs or he wanted to murder yeah, someone? Yeah, it's funny. I had this um, I had this case where this client was like, it's fire. And they were like, that's clearly crack. And I was like, that clearly means it's great. <laughs> like, like, fire doesn't mean crack. It means cool. You know, I mean, I think everybody knows that. Don't they know that? I mean, <laughs> I think I think I guess police understanding of uh, of colloquial speak is it's limited. It's limited to prosecution. Oh, OK. Yeah. Yeah. I think you missed that. OK. I didn't, I didn't In see the that. training. <laughs> OK. More. So I know the lawyer dog story was was the top news story this week, right? Or do you have anything, would anything else happen legally this week? I mean, besides the lawyer dog story, it's pretty hard to top, but I think there was this other, uh, I mean, this other indictment that was handed down. Uh, I guess it was Can you talk about that? You know, it was was told to me breathlessly on NPR on Monday morning, but it was the Paul Manafort indictment for conspiracy against the United States. Which, oh my God! A conspiracy! I know! Against I know! A conspiracy against the United States! Can you believe it? They got him. Russia got him. Got him. But really, what that means is tax fraud. Oh, that conspiracy sounds fun. To commit fraud. That's pretty I, sad. I can't believe Paul Manafort <laughs> would try to commit tax. Yeah, fraud. by like hiding his money overseas. It's a it's a real shocker to everybody who knows him best. What's What's the details? So I mean. You know, I think there's a lot of curiosity about why the indictment only has a few charges. I think that that's because they can always supersede at any time if he refuses to kind of cooperate with them. And superseding means? Um, Okay. So, do you know, I'm just going to start at the beginning. You know when they raided his house in the early dawn, like a few months ago? It's they something they love. They love to do the yeah, pre-dawn raid. Yeah, don't love to do it to white people. So I know. It, no, no. Yeah. I mean, I, they love to do it if if your neighbor said that they smelled weed once. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. But they don't love to do it to powerful and rich white people. But they did do it to Paul Manafort, and it was kind of a shock. But probably what that was designed to do was to show him that they were serious and they wanted him to cooperate. You know, And I know that he was deleting, like, pouring documents into his fireplace or something. But... It seems like a lot of this is designed to like kind of force his hand. And in my reading of the indictment, there's like a zillion other charges they could be charging him with. I mean, it's quite kind of plainly on its face that he committed mortgage fraud and they, he's not charged with that. So they're, they're kind of leaving, leaving themselves open, I think. The one thing that is funny is that the judge is taking – the judge was like, when, when can you go to trial? And they're like, May, which is such a soon trial date. Yeah, the trial is scheduled for May. And then she was like, and how long do you need? And the government was like, mm, three weeks. What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. His trial is scheduled for May. And it's a three-week trial, which in the feds, that is a very short trial. Like you can have, that's just a trial that's not involving any kind of paper. So it's pretty, it's pretty quick. But I think that he'll likely have a superseding indictment. I think that that's why there's a lot of missing charges in his indictment is because they're just, 
they're saying to him, here's what, here, we're going to charge you with this little amount of stuff from a long time ago. We want you to come in and talk about whatever else. And we're holding over your head a million other charges. And if you don't go along with us, then we're going to indict you. And that's generally how it works, right? Yeah, that's how they do in it in e- almost every case. Like, I have cases where there's a whole extra scheme and they're kind of holding over our heads to get us to plead. And that's normal. That's how prosecutors do things. So I don't think it's it's that shocking. I saw another, like, t- breathlessly on Twitter, people were like, his lawyers are filing a motion to suppress the evidence. It's like, it's like, I know. Because they don't want to get sued for malpractice. Yeah, exactly. It's like, this is shocking. So just, you know, so you know, we filed that in every case. You know, you always try to suppress the evidence. That's like the point of having a lawyer. So I think that it's it's a little more. I mean, the, those prosecutors are, they do have the reputation of being utterly ruthless and really good at prosecuting racketeering organizations which ultimately is what it has been going on i think here with the trumps the kushners these people you know whatever it is they're doing but i think and i think that there will be more indictments and i think there will be more serious charges but you mentioned you mentioned rico earlier and i and and that's our that's That's our our topic of the day topic of the day right so (laughs) yeah let's get into that a little more so rico is um the racketeer influenced and corrupt Corrupt Organizations Act. It was passed in the 1970s to prosecute the mob. Basically, what was happening was it was really hard for the government to kind of get, charge, convict um, high-level mob guys because they often insulated themselves from any wrongdoing. So they were only really able to prosecute kind of the guy who shot the person. And it was easy to avoid any kind of scrutiny and to continue to kind of build and develop and their own corrupt organization, like the mob family, like the Gambino family or somebody like that. So basically they, they invent this idea of a corrupt organ of an organization. Right. Like they say, okay, the Gambino family is an organization mm-hmm. and we can prosecute the organization and mm-hmm. anyone who's in the organization. Or wh- what, are, what is, what is racketeering? What is, what does racketeering mean? How, do, how does the, how does the law actually work? So, in order to be prosecuted under the RICO statute, which is 1951, um, you what, have to... Uh, what does that mean? Oh, it's 18 U.S.C. 1951. It's okay. just where it is if in the United States Code. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. So you have to be part of an enterprise, and we can define that in a second, in which there are, which you manage two violation, two racketeering acts that are part of a pattern. Okay, so you have to be part of an organization or yeah. an enterprise. Enterprise. And? So you have to order them okay. or in some way manage them or in some way reap the benefits of them okay. in a way that you're kind of responsible for them. Got you. So, so you can, if you commit the act as yes. part of an organization, you're done. Yes. But also, if you order the act. Yes, if you it, the main thing is if you order the act. Got you. So, and that's what you call substantive RICO. Yes, that is substantive racketeering offense. Uh, so that means that you either committed an act, committed the two acts, to a pattern of racketeering activity, which has to constitute at least two related t- acts. Two related acts within ten years. It, as part of an en- enterprise. Okay. Or you are the manager and ordered these acts. Okay. So to be a racketeering enterprise. To be a racketeering th- enterprise? 
Okay, let's go into that. What is a racketeering, what is the enterprise? Okay, an enterprise is any individual partnership, corporation, association, or other legal entity, and any union or group of individuals associated, in fact, although not a legal entity. Okay, so that sounds pretty broad. Yeah, it's basically, basically anything. Basically anything. It's, it has to have some kind of structure. Um, it has to have some kind of organization, not organization, but cohesion in some way. But it can it really be almost anything. Could it be like a Facebook group? Probably, right? I don't know. It hasn't, okay. yet, it hasn't yet been a Facebook group, but who knows what the future may bring. <laughs> okay, so, but it, it, it's very broad. It can be, that sounds like a very broad definition. Yes, it is a very broad definition. So you're, you're usually going to get past the enterprise threshold. Okay, so once you've established the enterprise, then for substantive RICO, you have to be basically the manager or the doer, right? Yeah. yeah. But but where it gets where it gets really crazy is when we bring in conspiracy, the 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 bread and butter of federal criminal law. Yes, the bread and butter of federal criminal law is conspiracy. Um, and so basically. So what is a conspiracy though? Let's start there. What is a conspiracy generally? A conspiracy is an agreement between two or more people to commit an illegal act, right? And in order to be convicted of a conspiracy, you have to have taken a step in furtherance of that act. Okay. So that also sounds pretty broad. It, it's pretty broad. Right. So it's what, really what, pretty broad. What's a typical conspiracy case? So what it's used for normally is to enhance the punishment. So if I sell crack, right? Okay. You sell crack, right? Okay. And we conspire together to sell crack. What, what that means is that if I run out, I'll give them your name. You know, and then you all sell the crack. So then we're both in a conspiracy to sell crack. We both are responsible for each other's crack weight. But the way they use it is to enhance, to enhance yeah, the charges, basically, to make to make you face more time, so that you'll take a plea for le- for less time and, yeah, and or I mean, or testify against someone else. I, I mean, that's how the game works, right? I mean, it can be really big, right? Like if you are, you're responsible for the foreseeable crack of your co-conspirators. So if you are a person who buys crack from someone, like the crack deal, the crack wholesaler, then you're responsible. You would probably know that he sells crack to other retailers. So you could be responsible for all of his crack weight. Okay. Yeah. So conspiracy is often used to enhance. But here in the context of RICO, it takes on... I don't really understand it. Can you explain how what what is a RICO conspiracy? We we talked about the substantive RICO, which is like the main RICO statute, but it's coupled with a conspiracy statute. Yeah. And and so how does that work? So it's quite complicated. But basically, the guilt in, in order for you to be found guilty of a conspiracy to violate the Racketeering Act, there has to be an enterprise, right? Okay, enterprise. I understand the enterprise. Okay, there has to be um, two Racketeering Acts. I got it. Two, there has to be two acts with two, within 10 years. So you have to conspire to not to commit those those pattern acts, right? You have to conspire to join with the enterprise. Gotcha. And the members of the enterprise. Okay. In general. In general. Okay. <laughs> so... So you don't have to have committed the murders or aided and abetted the murders or sold drugs or aided and abetted the sell or aided and abetted the selling of drugs. You don't have to have done any of those things. You just have to know that this organization is violating the Racketeering Act 
So you have to kind of would you have to know of the, the you'd have to know of these two acts? Yeah, you would have to know of the two acts. Okay. And you'd have to know but that they were they part were of a pattern of activity of the enterprise. Okay. And then I have to associate with that enterprise knowing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I'm guilty of conspiracy. Yeah. Okay, so it sounds pretty tangential. <laughs> I know. It's even really hard to explain to you even though I do this all the time and we're like cuz it's so it's really spins your head trying to think of how someone would almost not be guilty of this, you know? <laughs> like it's just like really it's it's really broad, you know, and it's really broad to think of. It's hard to think of how you could be near people who are committing criminal activities, which is, you know, in within the law. Like you're, it's not illegal to associate with people who sell crack, you know. Yeah. In general, but it's illegal if you're violating the racketeering act to join with them as part of an enterprise. So what that gets to is that if you're in like come from certain neighborhoods where people say like, oh, we're the 33rd Street boys, um, then you're kind of part of an enterprise, right? You're like in you're joining in the enterprise, you're conspiring with the enterprise. And if there's pattern of racketeering activity within the that enterprise, say drug dealing, then you're can be found guilty of conspiracy to violate the racketeering act. So it basically, it, it, it can be used to basically make like whole kind of social groups and neighborhoods yes. illegal. Yes, exactly, exactly. And you see that happening. Um, you know, with Preet Bharara, he had these great big prosecutions of people in the Bronx. I know he's now like everybody's favorite prosecutor. Oh, the, the Bronx 120 is what a lot, one of one of those cases is. is yeah, that's what people to. talk about a lot. And um, he just loved doing this, like uh, kind of arresting huge swaths of people and then trotting them out for a press conference and um, and charging them. And a lot of what he charged people with was racketeering conspiracy. So you had all these kids who were like, why am I being charged with racketeering? I've seen The Godfather. I have nothing to do with that. Like, I don't know <laughs> what that is. Yeah. So it's so it basically it's, it's gone from the point to, of where it was only used for like these incredibly powerful, sophisticated uh, mafia organizations to the point that now it's used against 22 year old kids who yeah. barely know what they're doing making a yes. hundred bucks a day selling weed or whatever yeah, or even people who didn't necessarily make that money right like that's or people the thing. who knew Is the it... people or yeah. somehow got had yeah. the tattoo yeah, yeah. that they got together yeah, or they all were like, on the same facebook page exactly, or whatever like they're all posed with like if you're we're talking about the east 33rd street like that's our hypothetical gang but they're you know up, up i thought it was a 33 block Oh, the 33 block, right. Yeah, know. the 33 block. That's our hypothetical gang. But they're both like, everyone's like throwing up three and three and on a Facebook page and you're sort of showing that you're associated well, like with a, in people. Well, like a rap group together. Oh, a rap group, my God. I mean, I mean that's, that's highly like, illegal. <laughs> I know, it is. Isn't that, I mean, if you're yes, in a rap group yes, with someone, yes. and the rap fiction and and the, the difference between a rap persona and reality is very hard to distinguish and can definitely be used to prosecute. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it is. I don't know how what else to say. I mean, they, they play, they read, recite rap lyrics in court, in trials, and they play rap music in trials. And it's, you know, it's complicated. You sit there and you're in a trial and you're watching these kind of church-growing grandmas listen to this. And it's like the exact opposite of what they want to be hearing <laughs> that your client did. And it's, it's not, it's not going to help you. Like, <laughs> no, 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 no. It never helps me ever. <laughs> <laughs>
when their cooperators are involved in rap songs, they, that that's fine for them. It doesn't it doesn't hurt their credibility. No, because we're never allowed to play them. Because what's the point, really? It's just it's just work of art at that point. Gotcha. <laughs> Gotcha. Seems seems like a it's an us and like them problem. Yeah. Uh, but it sounds like it sounds like what you're saying is it's that that because it's so legally structurally difficult, we kind of rely on these kind of cultural this cultural understanding of like these mostly black, mostly poor gangs are bad and therefore being part of it makes you guilty. Whereas we don't think of it as you know, being part of this bank or being part of this movie company or, you know, that, that it's, yeah. it's very yeah, exactly. I mean, we're not thinking like, oh, you should not have worked at that at Morgan Stanley or you should not have worked at Barclays or you should you should once you saw what's it called countrywide was the big yeah. the big countrywide one. like if you were you know say in the marketing department and you kind of overheard that there was these fraudulent like mortgages being given out and you didn't really have anything to do with it like you you should have immediately quit your job like we don't hold people to that kind of standard um but that is how we are holding people to a standard if they're like a member of like a gang, you know, of like a street organization, right? Yeah, street organization. I'm sorry, but yeah, it's it's a different thing. But when really like, it makes the opposite. It should be the opposite because the the p- people in the marketing department of Countrywide are for you know professionals who presumably can get a new job, and it's not going to be that taxing for them. Whereas you can't disassociate yourself with all of the people you grew up with in order to stay away from the 33rd Street Boys or yeah, exactly. You know, it's like it's. It's it, it, these organizations, the street organizations are very, they're much less voluntary and much less, you know, it's not like there's office hours. It's not like there's a building. It's it, it the 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 membership is, seems to me is often much more fluid. And, yeah. And yes. Yeah. I mean, it's fluid entirely. Right. Like you're you know, you break up with your girlfriend, you go who do you turn to your old friends. Right. And you are hanging out with them in their apartments. You're maybe playing video games and maybe people are selling drugs, but you're not selling drugs. And so then you're kind of caught up with this because they are your old friends. They are your closest acquaintances. You're not eschewing them. You know, you're not kind of never hanging out with them again. But y- if you are doing that, then you can get wrapped back up in a racketeering conspiracy. Okay. So, so. But w- so, so thinking about this more broadly, like what if it was used against some of these other organizations? The exciting thing is that I was thinking about it because I w- I'm very frustrated. I don't know if you guys remember it was so long ago, but there was this uh, movie producer named Harvey Weinstein. Who oh, yeah. I think, re- I, I think I remember that from like... <laughs> Two weeks last ago. Last week? <laughs> yeah, maybe last week. And, you know, he's just raped everybody. And the people he hasn't raped, he's, like, repeatedly o- over a pattern of years. Over many years, he's has a pattern of trying to coerce and extort women into having sex with him for parts in movies. You know, we got to hear this really disgusting audio of him trying to convince an actress to sleep with him or just to go into his room so he could rape her. I don't know. It was very unclear what was happening. Oh, you mean the one that uh, New York, the New York DA shut down because they said there wasn't enough evidence? Yeah. I mean, there was enough evidence. I don't know what evidence they're used to seeing in state court, but there was like a victim testifying who didn't have any criminal history. There was a audio of him trying to get her alone in his hotel room and cajoling and like aggressively trying to 
like have sex with her again and saying that he's a big movie producer and he's a star and he's a famous guy and there was like sting where he actually did the thing that they were trying to get him to do basically confess to what he had done earlier so i don't know what more evidence there could have been like i can't think of what the other evidence would have been i guess video yeah do you think she should have been wearing a video camera and where that would have made the whole difference <laughs> Body cams. Yeah. Body cams solve everything. Well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, they do have, like, really sophisticated uh, body cams now uh, for informants to wear. But anyway, yeah, the Manhattan DA, similar to many other interesting <laughs> cases, uh, shut it down because there allegedly wasn't enough evidence. But anyway, so Harvey Weinstein and his Miramax company, right, they're an organization. We know that. Their ostensible purpose is to make movies. Uh, and But they do a lot of illegal things like luring starlets across state lines to uh, engage in coerced, extortionate sex. Okay, so anyway, so Miram we have Miramax. They're an organization. We have Harvey Weinstein, who's the manager and also the person who is committing, I think, the racketeering acts um, in the section of the U.S. Code that defines what is a racketeering act, they say that relation to inter relation to peonage, slavery, and trafficking in person. And if you go to one of that those sections, whoever knowingly and affecting interstate commerce uh, benefits financially or by receiving anything of value from participating in a venture. So you'd get all of the people who are being paid. Or even if they're interns, receiving a thing of value could include like a really exciting thing on your resume, like you work for Miramax, where they're forcing or coercing someone to engage in a sexual act um, through abuse or threatened abuse so uh, or serious harm. You're saying that benefit could be an intangible things. Yeah, a, ben a benefit or a harm. They both can be intangible things. So... You don't have if you're receiving a thing of benefit. It doesn't mean necessarily that you're getting a packet full of money. There's other benefits. So using his influence in the industry, giving people a benefit, mm -hmm. that that could that yeah. could qualify, yes. right? Yes. Yes. And so. Yes. So the idea, and you have these sex crimes occurring, which yes. are part, which are qualify right under as racketeering Rico. acts. Yeah. So you're saying that the entire organization could be viewed as a racketeering organization because so much of what has been going on is him using his influence to basically draw people into his lair to sexually assault them. Yes. I mean, that seems to be kind of the actual purpose of Miramax. I can't imagine that anything else was <laughs> happening there because it was happening so much. But also, you know, when you when you hear these accounts by these women, you a lot of them have spoken about the assistants who – came into the room to make them feel comfortable and then got pretended to get a phone call so that they could leave the room so Harvey could rape them. And you you had other... Wait, 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 what? What do you mean? What are they doing? So the, so the women are being called, the actresses are being called up to his room okay. after he has asked to meet them in a hotel restaurant. So this is kind of a typical Harvey Weinstein. He asked to meet you in a hotel restaurant, okay. right? I'm pretending that you're the actress. And you go to the hotel restaurant. You're so excited because it's Harvey Weinstein and you're going to get your first big break. And I just came here across state lines. Yeah, you just came here from Yale um, where you're in the drama school. And you came across state lines to go meet him in his hotel room. And then a f an assistant comes down and says, oh, actually, Harvey wants you to meet him upstairs in his hotel room for this meeting. 
And so you go up okay. to his hotel room and you're And I feel kind of comfortable because I have this assistant with me. I don't I feel like he's not going to rape me. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And the assistant goes upstairs with you and then you go in the room and the assistant's there and so you sit down on the couch and then the assistant gets a phone call and leaves the room and leaves you there to be raped. And it's pretty clear from these accounts that the assistants kind of knew what was going on. Well, it seems like everyone knew what was going yeah, on. Yeah, right? I mean, that's the thing, right? Everyone knew. So who is not liable for that? If you're part of this organization, you know this is happening. There's like, you know that there's been way more than two. You know because he has paid off the people using money from your company. Yeah, even that right there. Doesn't that seem <laughs> like that the company, I, I know that I saw part of the contract that they had with him, which seemed crazy, Yeah, where it basically seemed to say that we know we're going to be paying out money because of your sexual yes, assault, yes, right? Yes, yes, We know you're going to sexually assault in the future. We know you're going to commit these crimes, and we know this, and here is the, our limit. We're not going to pay out more than this. We should put we're, a link to this because it's crazy. He, his employment contract yeah. basically acknowledges payments for sexual future, assault. Future, future sexual, sexual assault. assaults. Yeah. That he's been doing this for so long. And he was. And I mean, I know everyone's like, oh, it was an open secret in Hollywood. I mean, it wasn't even like an open secret in Hollywood. Like, I feel like I knew and I'm not in Hollywood at all. Well, and yeah. And there's those, you know, Courtney Love said that thing one time. Yeah. And like yeah. there's there's like these public yeah. statements that are few and far between, but they're, yeah. they're definitely there. And, you know, it's funny. I was looking into it and I remember George Clooney saying like, oh, it was just, you know, I knew there was a casting couch. But still, even a casting couch, you know, kind of not forcing physically, right? Not like holding women down, but forcing them economically to give up a thing of value. And sex is a thing of value also. Um, you know, in order for a part in a movie, you know, it's it's a very gray area of whether that's legal, like to have a casting couch like that, to coerce someone economically into, you know, having sex with you. And that's, you know, that's what sex trafficking is, right? Like you're kind of taking someone, it doesn't mean that you're changed the bed, which is also a thing that happens in sex trafficking, but it means that you're coerced through something. You know, he he ruled. He was like he was like the mob boss of an, of this company called Miramax and of this place called Hollywood, and he used his power to get women to sleep with him and yeah, to no. rape them and like to get people to facilitate these rapes. You know, there was a tremendous amount number of people facilitating all of this. Agents. These women's agents were involved. They would set up these meetings knowing full well that he was a rapist. Ugh. People they trusted. So anyway, yeah. so and bring so, the whole thing down. And so meanwhile, we have a Department of Justice that's literally busting children, mm -hmm. selling small amounts of crack. <laughs> Yeah, or even or just know someone who does. Yeah. And that's yeah. what we use Rico for. But yeah. like we actually could use it to kind of get rid of these thoroughly corrupt. I always thought like also, I mean, that Laquan McDonald shooting in Chicago yeah. where you have the mayor, the police chief, the entire department, the D.A., all covering up what is definitely a crime and a pattern of crime, yeah, right? Exactly. Literally, like, I, I, there's so many things. I mean, you have to look to see if, like, there's a reason for it because I think covering up just a murder, maybe a murder would count. Yeah. The point is we have the laws on the books to, to do, like, there's, I don't want to say it's limitless power, but the power is not specifically limited by the law. The power is very much limited by the prosecutorial prerogatives. Yeah, and I mean the difficulty and the PR hit they would get, right? Like they arrest a bunch of people 
and they say, we arrested the BMB, we arrested 120 people, they hold a press conference, it's really exciting, they're cutting down on crime in the city, but they arrest a bunch of Harvard grads who were assistants to Harvey Weinstein for two years. Well, Obama's daughter, right? Obama's daughter, yeah, I mean, she probably didn't facilitate I'm sure she did. She seems like a nice she young seems lady. Very She's, and nice. she seems like a, she doesn't need the economic <laughs> boon that this internship's going to give. But yeah, yeah. But I don't think she did this. But but a lot of people did, and a lot of people kind of looked the other way. And I think that they were the same white collar future lawyers, future bankers, future Hollywood executives that are the same kind of class of people as United States attorneys. And I think it'd be very hard for them to consider prosecuting them under as a part of. As participating in a racketeering. Well, I don't conspiracy. know. Jeff Sessions, DOJ, maybe <laughs> you know. I don't know. I just, I'm just saying, you know, it, 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 the the structure is there to take out these corrupt organizations, Wall Street organizations. You know, I mean, we we're living in the aftermath of such an epidemic of fraud, but the fraud cases that you see. God, it's just always like some random guy in like a shop that's selling fake securities it's never never the people who actually caused any of the problems that led to like our housing market collapsing yeah so but but the the law the legal structures are there it's just yeah, the system is not politically culturally socially prepared prepared to no. take those on no it's not it's because it's the same kind of power hierarchy in the government as in the prosecutor's office as they're in the wall street banks because it's interesting i think it's people I f- they know i feel like the last major institution to be really taken out in that way was arthur anderson mm-hmm. enron was was a corrupt <laughs> right disastrous energy company but their auditors were going along with them and right. and completely complicit in the fraud that enron was and they got taken out as like you know an hundred year old you know blue blood auditing right, yeah, firm yeah. got taken out yeah. by um, by by uh, Andrew Weissman who's prosecuting Trump now yeah so <laughs> so but the point is right that was the last time that like these major corrupt systemic player uh, systemic player got yeah taken down taken down yeah. and and I feel like the the entire Obama DOJ in the wake of two thousand eight was just less than interested i mean they 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 just basically you know i mean they they i guess they find hsbc for giving money to al-qaeda or whatever but like yeah <laughs> you know, i mean they, i think i think they're they're still doing some of it but they're it's all going to be civil it's all going to be fines they're not going to you know make barclays disappear they're not going to jail anybody and i think part of it i don't i don't know i can't speak for obama or what he was thinking but well holder yeah holder but Obama holder, whoever, um, those people. But, yeah, I think that that was what needed to happen to fix the country. And instead, everyone just got buyouts and still wreaking havoc. But we still have we still have the 33 boys off the streets. Yes, at least the 33 boys are off the streets. That's really fortunate. I mean, that's what the federal government really needs to be working on, you know. The 33 boys. <laughs> oh, boy. So I we've gotten know. to a sad place again. Yeah, we keep doing this. Sorry. Sorry, everybody. But, yeah, uh, I think that was interesting. Thank you so much for listening to our second episode. We're so glad to have you here with us. Yeah, it's been really fun. Please send us topics if you have any. Yeah. Uh, 
and look forward next week. Uh, it's going to be a little late because I'm as as we mentioned, I'm going to be in South Africa for yeah. a week. Glamorously. And yeah, hopefully I'll get some interesting interviews. I'll try to meet some lawyers and, and folks doing interesting work Great. out there. But uh, the, the episode will probably be delayed a couple of days. It'll, it'll come out next week. You know, we, we might want to replay one of our earlier episodes for our many fans. <laughs> <laughs> If, but yeah. if you're at a loss for what to do next week, you could listen to episode one again. Yeah, listen to episode one again. It'll, 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 <laughs> totally it, it, worth it. Really, your while. I, I find that it like, like a fine wine. It it, <laughs> it develops with time. Yes, yeah, definitely. Because <laughs> the cod cod will be over. Yeah. <laughs> so it'll be way more relevant. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're gonna keep doing this. Um, and yeah, we would love to hear back more from you. So, however you want to do that, please do. Thanks again. Oh, yeah. And so, yeah, hit us up on Facebook. I'm Abby Hassan, A-B-I-H-A-S-S-E-N. I have no idea what my Facebook uses. Oh, no, not is. Facebook. Twitter. Yeah. I hit me up on Twitter. I'm Abby Hassan, A-B-I-H-A-S-S-E-N. I have a closed Twitter account with my first name, Grania. Okay, but Grania is on Against the Law, which yeah. is at there Against I am. the Law. The first A is the at. Yeah. <laughs> some, some, like, some egg has the actual Against the Law. So Isn't that terrible? Give it to us, you egg. <laughs> uh, um, we do have Facebook. We have a curious cat. We have a curious I mean, cat, I, I think. Yeah, no, people could that. do that. Totally. Okay. Just well. ask us questions. Yeah, you can ask we'll us questions on Curious Cat. We're like, awesome. And then we also have SoundCloud. Oh, we have SoundCloud. We yeah. are, we're on all the things. iTunes, SoundCloud. I, uh, um, yeah, so you can find us. Um, but and yeah. we would like you to. Againstthelaw.info is our site that takes you straight to SoundCloud. Yeah. But anyway, just you know, thanks for being there and thanks for listening. You're the best. Bye.